We are continuing on with our sermon series in 1 Timothy, um, and so we're part two today, just to give a quick recap of last uh, Sunday's part one. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor in the church in Ephesus, uh, where the church Ephesians uh, is, and uh, Timothy being a bit shy and timid, uh, Paul wants to encourage him, so he encourages him to stay there, as God is going to do a work there, but Timothy has a response to confront the false teachers, those who basically are teaching a lot of nonsense. And so we looked last week at that, that Timothy has to challenge them. And the letter to the Paul writes, both this letter and the second letter, uh, Paul tries to deal with some of the organization and order within the church, which has to be uh, there for every church. We glean it from that today, uh, that you church has to be organized, has to be some order. Uh, we have to know who the leadership is. We have to know uh, what the purpose of the churches and and so we come to part two today which is the message of the church and the church has a message it's a gospel message we don't want church just to be a gathering place for people a social club uh, that we can all get together and there are lots of other places that can do that Uh, the church has a responsibility to share the message of Jesus Christ with the world and so that is uh, my responsibility and your responsibility and it is the church's responsibility and so Paul is writing in these verses which will come before us now in 1 Timothy just of the message of the church and how he personally relates to it and the beginning of verse 12 it says I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy appointing me to his service even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life now to the king eternal immortal invisible the only God be honor and glory forever and ever amen and Timothy my son I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well holding on to faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith among them Harmenius and Alexander whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme Paul opens here with thanksgiving for three blessings he has received from God the first one is this God who has given him strength, God who has considered him trustworthy, and God who has appointed him to service. Uh, Last week we looked at how God had called, commissioned Paul to be an apostle, the sent one to go and plant churches and preach the message of Jesus Christ. And here we see that it was God who appointed Paul to be a servant. And it mentions three things that Paul is a servant of. The first thing is Paul was a servant of Christ. Paul was a 
servant of the gospel and Paul was a servant of the church. All of those three need to be evident in the lives of believers. And so for us, uh, I've said this before a few times, uh, you, you don't need the church to become a Christian, but you do need the church to be a Christian. The, the church is a body, a family, a place to belong to. We need each other. I never quite get these people that turn around and say that actually I'm a Christian but I don't go to church because I don't like the, the Christians that are there like or it's full of hypocrites well of course it's full of hypocrites it's like if you join you'll just be another one in the church and stuff so but we actually are part of the church and we need each other so therefore we're not left in a sense to do this all alone and so we are a servant of Christ a servant of the gospel and a servant of the church uh, the example you could possibly use is this is if somebody comes up to me and says Matt I really like you and I think you're a tremendous fella but I can't stand your wife somebody comes and says that to me and he says well I'm sort of a very pleasant thing to say or a nice thing to say but that's the reality of what we do when we say well I love Jesus but I don't like the church the church is a bride of Christ which it says in scripture so therefore we're not in that position to say oh well I'm, I'm part of and follow Jesus and don't go to church because he'll do it my own way when he got channels on and find something on YouTube and stuff listen we need each other if the last 18 months has taught us anything think it's how important the fellowship with each other uh, is how important it is for us to support and encourage and help each other in everything that we do so Paul says here in a sense that he's a servant of Christ as a servant of the church but he's a servant of the gospel which means it's a responsibility to take the message of Christ to the world so it's not something we wait for a calling that all we are wait till God calls me to do that God has already called you to do that God has called each of us to do that because we're servants uh, and so ministry simply means service in the original Greek when people talk about being in ministry uh, sometimes it's almost like well, will he elevate them to I'm in ministry and I said listen ministry is just service just somebody who serves we minister to each other by serving each other and so Paul is just sharing that at the beginning but then he gets into really a part of his story what's, what's happened to him why is he telling Timothy this because he understands it is a child of God but the first qualification for being a child of God is understanding actually we're sinners that are in need of a saviour uh, and Jesus uh, in back 2 verse 17 he says on hearing this Jesus said to them it is not the healthy you need the doctor but the sick I have not come to call the righteous but sinners Jesus gets the message out right there from the beginning when he says this is who I've come for sinners who's sinners well that's everyone who is supposed to love everybody always because who did Jesus come for he came for everybody he says everyone regardless of the circumstance and he uses this example of the healthy and the unhealthy and we look at it this way and and say it's as a, it would be a little bit like me making an appointment for the doctors and going to the doctors to going down for the appointment going into his office he sits down with me and the first thing the doctor says to you is this is what's wrong we are we would never say nothing there's nothing wrong with me 
just want to come and see you today. I mean, the doctor's going to look at me like I've lost it. He's going to look at me and say, well, why are you here? And I say, well, there's nothing else to do. I thought, you know, come and see you. And that, no, you're not busy. <laughs> you know, would you like to come? And, you know, the doctor's got to throw me out of the office. Why? Because when he asks that question, what's wrong with you? He says, our response is, you know, depending on what age you are and all of this, he says, well, my arm hurts, my leg hurts, my back hurts, my head, everything hurts. You know, and, and so then he diagnoses the problem. And he says, well, you need to take this medicine and that tablet, or I can refer you for this person to look at you and stuff. Why? Because there was a problem with us, and it was diagnosed as sin. So God, being a doctor, sent the remedy, and the remedy was his son, Jesus. And so it's the first qualification, in a sense, for us being children of God. It's a recognition that we're sinners. We cannot bypass that message, in a sense, and almost sugarcoat it for the world today by saying God loves you and there's no responsibility for you to do anything no actually there is he says we recognize that within us that we are sinners in need of a savior and that's what makes us children of God and so Paul understands this when he says this incredible statement uh, in in verse 15 when he simply says it deserves this trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst he didn't say I was the worst I was a bad boy but he's made me good he says I am the worst but what does he mean when he says that well Paul shared a little bit of his testimony in Acts 26 and we see I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth and that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests I put many of the Lord's people in prison excuse me and when they were put to death I cast my vote against them many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities Paul gives a description of three things that he is both here in this passage but also in Timothy he summarizes it where he says firstly he says I was a blasphemer now that's not somebody who on occasion may say oh my no you know what I'm going to say that's not a blasphemy that's part of being a blasphemy this is somebody who spoke evil of Christ forcing others torturing others that they would blaspheme as well that's the blasphemy not be somebody who lets it be around some of the people use on well I'm not using a word you know what I'm talking about don't you not be good for a pastor to blaspheme from the front of church in a sermon but you know what I'm talking about don't you so that's the sort of thing it was a blasphemer and then the second thing that we see he says I was a persecutor he hunted down the Christians and he tried to destroy them the third thing it tells us I was a violent man a mixture of aggression arrogance and insolence I want to give you a proper picture of who Paul was before he was saved because there is often a gentle picture that goes around that, that Paul was just sort of some religious eager sort a person that didn't like Christians listen the best way to describe him before he got saved was he was a terrorist 
If you've seen the pictures on TV of Muslim jihadists, that's a picture of who Paul was before he got saved. And I can take you to the verses that we've just read and back that up as well with some of the stuff that he did. Acts 7.58 says, They dragged him, Stephen, out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul stood there as the supervisor of the operation. As a member of the Sanhedrin, he ought also approval of Stephen's execution. This is a man, when they voted about whether to take the life of a Christian, Saul would vote and say, take his life because he's a Christian. He voted for the death of people. I'm giving you a picture of how bad this person was. Acts 8 verse 1 says, And Saul approved of their killing him. Acts 8 verse 3 said, But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And Acts 9 verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, this is a picture of the person that we are looking at today of why he said Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And there's a description of it, why he actually did. This is the stuff that it is. Not a guy who was a little bit religiously zealous and suddenly was caught out on the Damascus Road. This was a guy who was, it was putting Christians to death. As they stoned Stephen, he was standing holding the coats because he was the organiser of the operation to, to, to stone Stephen to death. And so we see this picture here because it helps us with the stuff that he's writing. His terrible violence against God's people was sufficient reasoning for ranking him as the worst of sinners. We get a picture of how malicious and aggressive he was, but also this. He wasn't beyond the mercy of God. Because twice he said in verse 13 and verse 16, he said, I was shown mercy. John Stott in his commentary said, Paul didn't have the record of every living person alive and the record of sins to declare I'm the worst of them. His life was touched by the mercy of God. What we do as believers, and I'm guilty of this, is that we would turn around and say, well, I'm good, but I'm not as bad as him. He's done far worse than I have. Or, I, I, I'm okay, but the life that she's led, and, and that, we would do that. And we would sort of have a pecking order almost. And Jesus addresses it in Luke 18, when he says there were two men that come into the temple. It's a Pharisee that comes in. He said, Lord, I give all of my money. To, I give uh, the, the right tithe to you. I wear the right clothes. I attend the right services. And, you know, and I do all the right things that you require. But then another man comes in and he falls down on his knees at the, the front and he just simply looks up and he says, God, ha have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus asks the question, who does God forgive? Oh my, that's wild because we would be like, whether we like it or not, 
we're quite like the Pharisee. Do the right things, tick the right boxes. We give the money to the church. I do all of this and we think, well, that's the way I am. But the reality is, he says, who gets accepted for forgiveness? The, 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 the one who says, I, I, I'm wrong. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and so here it tells us that Paul acted in ignorance. He was shown mercy so God might display his immense patience in his life. In verse 14, Paul writes of this abundant grace that was poured out upon him. The original word in Greek is, is they call it, it's an emphatic word, which means it, it just the emphasis is on that word of what God has done, not just touched by God's grace. His grace was just poured out, almost like somebody described it as super abounded onto Paul because that's what God did for him. He poured out his grace, super abounded. Uh, and Paul had not forgotten what he had been his boasting was never in himself but in the God who redeemed and changed him quarter past eight on a Sunday morning drive to the front gates of this church and I never fail to say to God thank you God for the privilege that you have given me and what you've called me to do because boy I used to be bad and I was a rascal and I can tell you that from the front here says when I was back in Birmingham last week I had a car and I drove past some of the old haunts as you do I won't tell you the stories but you have an idea and the last thing on my mind for many years was coming to church on a Sunday morning to worship God it says at times that church was opening those would be the times maybe I was arriving home and some of you know what I'm talking about and it says you have talked about the great night that you had as you spent all your money and you were stinking from head to foot and you'd no money left for the rest of the week and you thought to yourself I'm living life this is great there was a Sunday mornings I didn't care where I was yeah, I drive up to the gates of this church and I don't say to myself I deserve this you know I've worked hard I, I'm, I'm a good person and I mean I am but I don't get it but you don't get it because of that you get it because God's incredible mercy and grace is poured out upon our lives and the privilege and the honour that you get to do this because he could have picked anybody but, but he picked me and it doesn't mean that I'm better it doesn't mean that I'm special it doesn't mean it's just his incredible grace and it has touched all of our lives in a way as I open the gates and just simply say thank you God for what I get to do don't deserve it I won't work for it I haven't earned it but I could understand it's something that, that Paul was saying here he said the only way he could have shown mercy was this because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners he didn't come to give us good advice he didn't come to make bad men good he didn't come to give religious people a reason to meet together he made dead men live those people who are lost and broken and hurting in, in, in their own mess and their own sin and everything that had happened God reached down and he saved us see it's no wonder God used Paul I mean, on the Damascus Road, he could have done this. As the light was shone and Paul fell off his, 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 as Paul was there on the ground, God could have said to him, he says, why are you persecuting me? I'm trying to get this church thing off the ground. Would you just leave it alone for a while? As a matter of fact, I'm God. And you know, and you know a little bit. I just said, why don't you just sort of settle yourself and do this? 
you know, and, and what God does there, he says, you know, he, he could have turned to Saul and he said, you know, you're responsible for, for, for the death of some of my followers. You've persecuted them, you've blasphemed, you've been violent. And he could have said, you know what to do, come in and take a seat at the back. You know, where will the naughty ones sit, except for here today. But just so, except for this side, a couple of naughty ones this side, right? And he says, he can't sit there. He said, don't come too close to the front where all the religious people are. And there won't really be anything for you to do. But if you behave yourself, you're in. And we would have thought, well, that's the way God should do it. Actually, God doesn't do that. He says, what he does is this. He speaks to Ananias. He tells him to go and find Saul. And Ananias' reply would have been ours. Well, it definitely would have been mine. He said, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to you, holy people in Jerusalem. But God says this to Ananias in verse 15. He says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And we almost get shocked at that. Ananias is almost shocked. I mean, I always smile when Christians get shocked at God saving people who've had a bad past. I mean, we've done it, I've done it as well. The first thing is, we saved him. Him. That's the first thing we would say. This is exactly what's happened. God has saved Saul. This is the one that's been causing all the trouble. This is the violent man. This is the one who's been oppressing the church. And, and God, you've saved him and you've given him something to do. I can understand Ananias' hesitation. I mean, imagine it happening here. That, that, that God spoke and says, man, where are you going to speak to this, this man? He's a dangerous, violent man that is, you know, you've heard all the stories about him that, you know, it's uh, what he's done and yet he's got saved and I'd like you to go and speak to him. And that would be, that's fine, Lord, where's Reese? You know, and uh, <laughs> because you would say, here I am, Lord, send another. And even as Paul preaches, beginning in Acts 9, it says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? God changed his life so radically that his mission actually changed. He was on his way to Damascus to, to arrest the Christians. God does a work on the Damascus road and actually he goes and he says, actually these Christians are right. I'm going to go and tell the people about them. That's what God does in people's lives. I mean, I thought about it like this, you know, it's, uh, you know, Paul's past is there. Imagine us sitting in an elders meeting and we're looking for, um, I say, we're looking for another pastor. We're looking for an extra pastor. We interview several people and we ask each of them to share three things about their life. Um, what they were like maybe growing up. Some of them will come in and say, well, I went off the rails as a teenager and a couple of things I did. And then, you know, I sort of went to a youth meeting one night, you know, got restored, went off to Bible college, been called into the ministry. Those stories would go on. But Paul comes in and they say to the oversight, we say, tell us three things about yourself. Well, he says, oh, when I was very religious, he says, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And we would be like, right, okay, where do we go from here? He says, the papers would be shuffling. I'd be looking across at Stephen, saying, Stephen, anything you want to add? <laughs> you know, anything you want to add? 
anyone else. That's his story. This is what God has done in his life, how he has changed him. He says Paul's past would not disqualify him from serving God because God has no pecking order. We've said it in this church. It says this church opens its doors. The heart of this church, because it's the heart of the leadership, is come and take a seat with the rest of us. You've got baggage. So what? We've all got baggage. Your baggage might not be my baggage, and my baggage might not be your baggage. And it says, so we throw open the doors because we believe in a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And where you may have attached a label to yourself, and I'm not going to go through the labels because we're not signaling people out, but where you've attached a label to yourself, we've said, come to this church. He says, God is not interested in labels. He's interested in changing people's lives for his glory because that's what he did here with Paul. So if you don't have any labels attached to yourself, that's great, praise God, that's, that's brilliant life. But for most people, they have something. And when we open the doors to the church, we say, come on in, take a seat, give God an opportunity to do something in your life. That's the church that we're building here. That's the church that we're building. We're not saying we don't want any normal people to come some of you are normal some some but we're saying to people listen come on into church says the stuff that's happened in your life it doesn't disqualify you from being used by god I mean, we, we have a, an order of things that we think we can use people for and they come down and I wonder, and I can't find it in scripture sometimes anywhere. It says, you know, the people that God uses are the people that make themselves available, who have known the mercy and the touch of grace that Paul has experienced and it's why he's sharing it. It says, you see, grace is not a past experience that we were once shown 35 years ago. Oh, I experienced God's grace back in 1983. It says it's a present reality of needing his grace and his mercy every day because we're not perfect. My prayer today is this. Lord, so far today, I've not lost my temper, been jealous, spiteful, nasty, critical, hateful or rude. But in a minute, I'm about to get out of bed. <laughs> And I require your grace for the rest of the day. That's a reality of where we are, isn't it? He says, when Paul says in verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst, he's not beating himself up. It's not false humility. It's not I was the worst, it's I am the worst. Why? Because Paul knew this. He lived under the law, which was meant for condemnation. But when Jesus came, he brought salvation. And you will never experience salvation until you have experienced the condemnation of the law. Because it is God's law that you broke. And there are many Christians that do this. They replace the condemnation of the law with the condemnation imposed and by themselves or yourself after they get saved. There are many Christians walking around carrying the burden of sins that should be left at the cross. How true is that? That people look at it and say that this and yet Paul writes this in Romans 8 verse 1. He says, therefore, for this reason, as I've said before, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
the same writer who wrote about being, I am the worst, writes, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not the law, not keeping the law, but for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's great. That's what God has done in a person's life. And some believers need to have that verse somewhere in the house to read every morning so they are reminded of what Christ has done for them. Because you talk to people sometimes and they think to themselves, I've just made it in. I'm sort of, the line is just behind me. And if I lean forward, I'm just in God's saving grace. Well, I've just made it into heaven because the line's there. And nowhere in the Bible is that taught. Nowhere in scripture is that taught. We're fully in. We're all in. There is no condemnation for those who what, are in Christ Jesus. It says we leave our past where it is. John Newton, the slave trader, who wrote Amazing Grace, he got gloriously saved. Uh, and it, hanging in his parlour as he sat down for breakfast every day was a picture with the words of Deuteronomy 15, verse 15. It says, And thou shalt remember that thou was a bondsman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. And every time he sat down for breakfast, he read that verse on the wall because he remembered he was a slave trader who sold people from Africa. He was a vile, disgusting, evil man, and God gloriously saved him one day and only a man that could be saved like that could write the words amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me he says and he read that verse every day I remember what I was but I now know who I am in God you see I, somebody once said this and it's so true whenever the heart grows cold and we wonder if what we are doing makes any difference reminded of the phrase that you walk back down the avenue of your sins but you walk back up the road of redemption for he has redeemed us by his mercy and his grace it is grace by his grace we can preach when people tell us we're not perfect or polished or dress right have the right image none of that matters his mercy and grace has touched our lives a fire burns within because of the grace of God it's no wonder Paul also writes these words in Ephesians 2 8 when he says for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves nothing to do with us thank God it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one could boast. Paul was an example. Look how dead I was. Look how bad I was. Look how dark I was. But because of his great mercy, look at Paul. If God did that for him, he could do it for you today. Because there's people even sitting in here and they say to themselves, they're saying, if I can just make myself better, if I could just give this up, if I could just sort of improve this part of my life, listen, don't waste your time. God accepts you exactly as you are. And listen, you're looking at it saying, but I've got to change this. He said, the only one who can change your life is him. And it says, what you need to just simply do is surrender. I surrender to his mercy and his grace because of his son going to the cross for all the things you are trying to deal with at the moment. All the things that you think, if I just get this sorted, then I, I could be all right to come to God. Listen, you come to God as you are. You come to God as you are. 
See, the more clearly you see your own sin, the more you will magnify the mercy of God. The more you will appreciate his extraordinary patience with you and affirm God's grace, thankfully. So I read this, I was so moved by what Paul explains to Timothy in this letter. This is a message of the church. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Who? Everyone. Always. Not pick and choose. Who's invited? Everybody's invited. Who has a place at the table? Everybody has a place at the table. It's why Jesus Christ came. What does Paul do? When he could not think of how bad he was, but how great the salvation of God was. And how great the love of God was. He simply breaks into this spontaneous praise. He, he begins to sing. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> You'll be glad to know, as much as I would like to. He says, I've decided that God has blessed me with a voice that can't sing. Because believe me, if I could sing, I would never be off this platform. And so that's right. Paul writes these words, a king eternal, immortal, and visible to God who alone is wise. This outburst of praise simply shows that Paul understood he was known by God and loved by God. He knew God to be the king eternal, ruling and reigning in complete power and glory. He knew God to be immortal, existing before anything else existed, and being the creator of all things. He knew God to be invisible, not completely knowable by us. We can't completely figure out God or know all his secrets. He knew God alone is wise, that simply he is God and we are not. We think our plans and insights are so important, but only God really knows and understands all things. But then he finishes it and says, be honour and glory forever and ever. Knowing all this about God, Paul couldn't stop praising him. Somebody once said, if you ever have trouble worshipping God, it's because you don't know him very well danger that we have sometimes in Christian circles is that people worship God when things are going well, when they're on the mountaintop and it's easy to sing his praises and declare it. Yet when things are rough and it's rock bottom and there seems like there is no hope in the situation you face, that's when you've got to begin to sing. That's when you've got to begin to raise, you know, your voice. And I mean, I read another story of Paul in my devotions. You know, Paul and Silas in Acts 16, they're, they're, they've been beaten, arrested and imprisoned. And there they are. He says, what do they do? Where they feel, they still have, you know, send a prayer letter out, let everybody know how bad it is for us. You know, let everybody know how much we're suffering. What do they do? It says about midnight, they were singing hymns and praising God. Why would you do that after you'd been imprisoned and beaten uh, and the, you, 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 the bruises to show and you're singing and praising God? And I understood it as this because I, I've said this before and it's so true and I relate to it. Not everyone can sing, but everybody has a song. Simply this, if God has done a work in your life, if he's touched you by his mercy and his grace, you have a song. Doesn't matter whether you can sing, who cares whether you can sing or not. I mean, we're blessed if when Rebecca is up here and Naomi is up here and they're leading us in worship and, and we're like, this is, we, we, we love that. But we don't sing because they're up here leading us in that. We sing because we have a song. 
he says because he's touched us by his grace and his mercy and he loves us and not everybody can sing but everybody has a song because of what he's done in our life I was lost but he found me I was in darkness but he shone his light upon my life I had nowhere to go I was full of despair and he poured out his hope upon my life that's the message of the church I think it's a message worth telling people and everybody has a song don't they I'm not going to sing but when I know that we have a song and the one that we finish with sums it up alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began isn't that something worth singing yeah yeah tell your face isn't that something worth isn't that something worth singing something worth singing for what God has done in our life let us pray Father God we come before you God there is none of us sitting in this place today that deserves everything that you have given us Father, you have rescued us and redeemed us by your Son. You have poured your grace and mercy out upon our lives. You have invited us into your family so we can be accepted. And Father, as we come today, we say thank you. And Father, for those who gathered here that are looking to try and fix whatever it is that needs fixed, for those who think if they put a bit more effort in, you will accept them. For those who think if they can just get over the finishing line by themselves, God, would you speak to their hearts now because you love them and accept them and send your son for them. And Father, that's a prayer that we have as a church because it's the message of the church that the hope of the world is in your son, Jesus Christ, who still changes people's lives, who still redeems us, who still rescues us, who still leads people out of darkness into light. And for that today, as we sing, whether we can sing a note or not, we all have a song. And our song is to you that just simply says, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you.